Today's reading is from 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Test the spirits. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Man, you may be seated. Thank you. Good morning. You guys doing well? Yes. Outstanding. Good to have you with us here at Desert Breeze Community Church. There is a couple in our in this group right here, this this first service that just got married on Friday night. And they're sitting right here, Brian and Liberty Reyna. Why don't you guys stand? Congratulations. That's awesome. Look at the glow on them. Yep. That's great. Thank you. My wife heard from a very reliable source uh, last night that John Travolta got tested for coronavirus, but he didn't have the coronavirus. He had Saturday night fever. And, he, and he's staying alive, okay? Bad joke, bad joke. That was a joke, but now we get into some really serious stuff. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. Those were the verses that were just read. Know that you know God is our current teaching series as we work our way through 1 John. And we are at, in this study, characteristics of fellowship, characteristics of intimacy with God. This is not how we can attain it but it's really how we uh, maintain intimacy with God and what intimacy with God looks like as we interact with God. And uh, three weeks ago, we talked about purity of life, so characteristics of fellowship, purity of life. Uh, two weeks ago, practice of righteousness last weekend, love in deed and truth. And this weekend, it is on test the spirits. Test the spirits. Grab your sermon notes out. You'll see part of the intro. It is not always easy to know who you can trust. Would you agree with that? <clears throat> yeah, no doubt about it. It is not always easy to distinguish the good guys from the bad guys as the movies would lead you to believe. The movies uh, give very obvious clues, especially the earlier movies or the ones that are a long ways back. They even more so give you that distinction. Truth and error are not as obvious as we would like them to be primarily because Satan masquerades as an angel of light. 
2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. So, so where's, where's the spiritual warfare? What's the battleground of the spiritual warfare? Anybody? It's in our minds. It's in our thoughts. It's in our beliefs. And uh, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's for unbelievers, but what about us believers? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 through 4, he says, that I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that somehow your minds may be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now, how would that happen in our life? Well, it's not the events of life. It's your evaluation of those events that makes you or breaks you. So it's not, it's not the people, things, and circumstances of your life, what you're, whatever you're facing. It's not making you feel and behave the way you're feeling and behaving. It's your evaluation. It's your interpretive grid. It's your belief system being exposed. And so uh, that's why we, we really need to guard our hearts, our minds, our lives, and if you don't learn to be discerning between truth and error, you will inevitably be victimized. And so how will we be victimized? I've got some verses there on the intro part of your notes. John eight thirty one and 32, if truth brings freedom, then lies bring enslavement. For every lie you believe in your mind, in your heart, is, is a place where you're going to be enslaved. What do I mean by being enslaved? I mean that you're going to have inordinate anxiety, anger, and depression. Every place in your life where you have inordinate anger, uh, anxiety, and depression is evidence that you believe a lie. And those lies need to be exposed so that you can be free. John 10.10, 10, if the thief steals, kills, and destroys, then Jesus comes to give us life to its fullest, fullness of life. That's what he offers us, even in the midst of tragedy and difficulties and whatever we're facing. So, so what's going on in our minds? Well, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 describes this spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is about destroying strongholds. We all have these strongholds, these mindsets, these things that maybe from the past hurts and and habits and things that we struggle with that just that immediately come to mind as we face difficulties and face good days and bad days and ugly days. And so those are strongholds, patterns of thought. And so spiritual warfare is about destroying strongholds, arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we are to take every thought captive and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. When you find your emotions going off the, the scale, you gotta chase down those thoughts and bring them into the obedience of Jesus Christ so that you can have fullness of life in him and freedom. And so our study answers three questions for us. What is discernment? That's the big idea of, of this message and this text. So what is discernment? Why should we be discerning and how should we be discerning? So take a look at your notes there. Here's your first fill in the blank. What's the big idea? of this text. Anytime I study a text, I always ask that question, what's, what's the big idea here? What's the big point that he's trying to get across? And then what is he saying about the big idea? So he'll give you a big idea and then he'll be telling you specific things about that big idea. And so this one is, it's a command to be discerning. 
Now, we just finished up last weekend, verse 24, the last verse of chapter 3, and it says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So by his Spirit whom he has given us, and then he immediately goes to verse 1, chapter 4, beloved, terms of endearment. He's just reminding us, don't you realize you are beloved by God? And so he's saying, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So immediately as I was studying through this and I was thinking about discernment, I I had to kind of grapple with the issue of uh, the opposite kind of, of, of discernment would be being judgmental. And because oftentimes I've, I've been discerning when people would call me being judgmental. And so what is the difference between discernment and being judgmental? Well, Hebrews 5.14 uh, gives us discernment. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Matthew 7, 1 through 6 talks about judgment. I'll just read the first verse of that uh, text. Judge not, lest ye be judged. If, if no one, uh, most people that can quote scripture are the most, one of the most popular verses in scripture is that one, even from unbelievers. Judge not, lest ye be judged. That's King James Version. But uh, I, I'm sure that all of us have had people maybe say that to us as we were talking to them about sin and in their life or around us. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Well, that's, that's not the same. And in fact, the word discern uh, means to make a distinction between good and evil. The word judge means to separate or select so as to declare a verdict. So discernment conveys a sense of involvement and sees value in the person's being evaluated. But judgment is harsh and severe, lacking in involvement. So it is the difference between, here's your next couple fill in the blanks, it is the difference between compassion-motivated anger and contempt-motivated anger. Remember last weekend's message, we talked about anger. All of us fit into one of these two broad categories. You're either a gunslinger, open aggression, or you're an Eskimo. Uh, That's closed aggression or passive aggression. And both of those are wrong ways of dealing with conflict. We either blow up or or we we either express our emotions wrongly or we suppress it down inside of us. The Bible actually says that as it relates to our emotions, especially anger, that we are to come to God's word and reorder, reorder our anger according to God's word. Know the truth. The truth will bring you freedom. And uh, and so so don't posture Uh, Don't take the posture of of judgment, of a judge, everyone's wrong, I'm right, kind of an attitude. In fact, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, be angry, so we, we, we should, there should be times in our lives we are angry, be angry, but don't sin. So be angry, that would be compassion motivated anger, but don't sin, that would be contempt motivated anger. And it goes on and it says, and before the sun sets, take care of that anger. Don't let the sun set before you take care of that and you begin to resolve that. So every day we need to work through. And by the way, anger is secondary to hurt, fear, and frustration. And so uh, 
we get angry. And so we've got to ask ourselves, is this contempt-motivated anger or is this compassion-motivated anger? In fact, he even says in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Believe me, it will be a foothold in your life and it will bring bitterness and it will poison you and everybody around you. And so you've got to know the difference between the two. Now, before testing, before testing spirits, test your heart. Do I love them, care for them, pray for them, want good for them? Am I willing to be teachable in these circumstances? Is there anything in me that is ungodly, unkind, unloving? Is there anything in me that is motivated by pride? Those would be the questions to make sure that your, your anger is, is compassion motivated. Here's the next one. It's the difference between, so we're, once again, we're distinguishing the difference between discernment and being judgmental. It's the difference between focusing on the problem or focusing on the person. So just keep in mind, when we focus on the person, people who say they are Christian are innocent until proven guilty of their false beliefs. So always keep that in mind. Do real primary research on someone's current beliefs not everything on the internet can be trusted. You guys know that. Probably, I, don't, I, I bet there's a real small percentage of what is on the internet that you can actually trust. And so, you guys know what I mean when, when you do primary research? Because most of the things on the internet are all secondary and third-hand and fourth-hand, and, and it's just continuing to spin out of control. So do primary research. Go to, go to the person or the organization and do a little research. And, uh, and so keep in mind also, people grow and change their minds and learn. I don't agree with everything I have ever said in the last 29 years at Desert Breeze. I look back on earlier messages and I go, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? And, uh, and so, so we're talking about the difference between discernment and, and being judgmental. Here's the next one. What you are trying to defend, what are you trying to defend and what are you trying to destroy? That's, you need to answer that question. So this is, it is the difference of what you are trying to defend and what you are trying to destroy. So anger is energy aroused to defend something we love and destroy something we hate. So here's the question you need to ask yourself. Am I trying to defend the truth and destroy the false teaching or am I trying to defend my eagle, ego and idol or idol? Nine times out of 10, when we get angry, it's typically our ego or an idol, especially contempt-motivated anger. So, or, or am I trying to defend my ego or an idol and destroy the false teacher or the person? Now, I want you to always know this here at Desert Breeze, that we are a church of what we are for, not what we are against. We are a pro-movement, not a, an anti-movement. 
Therefore, we should be spending more of our time talking about what we are for, which I believe we do, especially up front here. So we should be spending, and especially in our small groups and throughout this church, we should be spending more time about what we are for. We are for the gospel. We are for people encountering Christ. We are for life change that comes as a result of of knowing and experiencing the gospel. And so we need to talk more about what we are for and less about what we are against. Now, why should we be discerning? Next question. Because false teaching is a big problem. Uh, Look at verse 1 again from the text. He says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Notice the distinction, whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So there is a spirit behind every teaching. Therefore, we must discern whether it is truth or error or whether it comes from the spirit of God or a demonic spirit. So let me ask you this question. Um, You can answer out loud here. How often are are we warned against false prophets in the Bible? Very little or very much? Very much. Very much. We are warned over and over again about false prophets. Let me just give you an example of that. We are warned over and over again in in the Old Testament about false prophets. We are warned over and over again in the New Testament about false prophets. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus warned about false prophets. Paul warns about false prophets repeatedly in his letters to the churches. Peter essentially writes an entire letter warning about false prophets. That's 2 Peter. Jude follows up warning about false prophets and says, contend for the truth or contend for the faith. And he means literally the truth. And the New Testament ends before the great book of Revelation, which is, it looks at, it looks to the future. And there are two postcard letters, 2 John and 3 John. And five times in the opening of 2 John and five times in the opening of 3 John is a warning to be faithful to the truth. I'm going to say a very bold statement here, but I believe it's true that most of the religious and spiritual teaching in America is false teaching, and that would include Christianity in its broadest terms, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Science, Roman Catholicism, many mainline churches, and many dead denominations that have gone liberal, even within so-called evangelical parachurch and church organizations, you can find aberrant and flat-out false teaching. It's all around us. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Doctrine of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Matthew 7, 15 through 16. Beware of false prophets. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous, ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So they, they seem to be nice. They're really humorous. They're, they're fun to be around. They have sheep's clothing on, though. Until you, you get down below that, you won't really understand where they're coming from. 
So this is a massive problem. The world is literally drowning in a sea of demonic lies. I have people say to me repeatedly after coming to Desert Breeze that they have been starving for sound doctrine and that they were hard-pressed to find a church even in the valley, in this area, that actually teaches the Bible. And I'm always shocked by that. It's like, whoa, that's crazy. And... um, and so we are commanded to be discerning, otherwise we will be victimized. And here's some ways that you need to be discerning. When should you be discerning? At all times. But let me give you some specifics of when to be discerning. We must be discerning when prolonged involvement with another person is being considered. Marriage. Did you guys do that? Okay. I, I know you did. You guys got good counseling too. And uh, So you need to be discerning when you're choosing a marriage partner, business partners, church and parachurch ministries that you support and look to for instruction. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Here's the second one. When there are problems within the body of Christ, when there are problems within the body of Christ, our uh, our. Elders and all of us should be exercising discernment, particularly when there is problems within our small group, within the body of Christ. My wife and I were part of a church a number of years ago, probably about 32 years ago or more, and we were there just for about two and a half years, but it took us a whole year to figure out that they had cultic uh, characteristics They were very cultic in their theology and also in their sociology and how they related to one another. And um, and it was was interesting because how they defined discipleship in the pastor's role was completely contrary to what I believe the Bible actually teaches. And we didn't know that because they were very nice people. They were very loving people. And it took us about a year to figure that out. And, of course, I became a thorn in the pastor's side because I was constantly bringing him back to the Bible. It's like, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. And he basically said, hey, I have no authority over him and that he's only accountable to God and his wife. And, in fact, what was interesting about this church that if you wanted to leave the church, you had to ask for his permission. It was a very heavy-handed authoritarian church. And uh, so I called it Hotel California. (laughs) You can check in, but you can't check out, baby. I told him that too. I said, hey, man. I said, we'll leave when we want to leave. Because I can hear from God just as well, probably better than you, okay? And, and so uh, I know I was a bit of a pistol with him, but, but that's what you've got to keep in mind. I'll tell you what, it was the best and worst experience at the same time. It was absolutely the worst church experience we've ever had, and I can see why a lot of people turn away from the church, but it was the best church experience we ever had because it forced us to go deep into our theology and understand what we believe, and God used that in our lives. I began to understand more clearly the role of a pastor and uh, really understand what the church is all about. And so when there are problems within the body of Christ, when, when leadership positions are being determined. So here at Desert Breeze, we believe that the church is to be led by, by Jesus Christ through a plurality of leaders known as elders and deacons as defined in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. And we also need to be discerning when we are distinguishing truth from error. 
truth from error. And so how, how should we be discerning? How should we be discerning? He gives us three tests here in our text. And the first one is the Jesus test. The second one is the Holy Spirit test. And the third one is the Bible test. Let's take that first test, the Jesus test. What do they say about Jesus? Look at verse two of our text. By this you know the Spirit of God. So he's gonna tell us, how can we know the Spirit of God from demonic spirits working? By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, the word confess is more than just agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. It's, it's like, I'm gonna give my life to him. I've surrendered my life to him. I'm walking with him. I'm loving him. I'm enjoying him. That's what that word confess means. And then he says, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Jesus in Mark 13, 22 said this, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Signs and wonders. There are people that perform signs and wonders and they will lead people astray. That's what Jesus was warning about. Now, on our website, DB website, we have our statement of faith. So I'm gonna read the statement of faith for Jesus right here so you kind of really fully understand it. There's a lot here, I'm not gonna unpack it all, but we're going to talk a little bit about it. But we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in his virgin birth, hypostatic union, which means he's 100% God, 100% man, hypostatic union, sinless life, miracles and teachings, his substitutionary atoning death, bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and his personal visible return to earth. We believe that in his first coming, he bore our judgment. He bore our judgment, and in his second coming, he will bring judgment. So in his first coming, he bore our judgment and inaugurated the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. In his second coming, he will bring judgment and consummate his kingdom. It's on your notes there. There's a number of verses that support that. I love the story of David Platt in One Minute Apologetics, the Gospel Coalition on Instagram. I watched it this last week, and David Platt was in another country in front of a temple with two other guys from other religions. And, and they, were, they were talking about how all three of their religions were fundamentally the same with just a few superficial differences. And, uh, and then David spoke and said, it's, it's almost as if you guys see God at the top of the mountain and we are all at the bottom of the mountain. And I may take this path up to the top of the mountain and you may take another path and still someone else might take another path. But in the end, we all end up in the same place. And they smiled and said, exactly, you understand. Then David Platt said, what if I were to tell you that at the top of the mountain, that the God at the top of the mountain didn't wait for us to find our way up to him, but he came down from the mountain to find us. And they both said, that would be great. And then David said, this is the difference. 
This is the difference. The gospel is the good news about the true story of Jesus Christ coming from heaven to earth to conquer sin, death, evil, and reconcile us back to God through his life, death, and resurrection. And all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. I never get tired of the gospel. I want to hear the gospel every day. I remind myself the gospel. I preach the gospel to myself every day. Otherwise, I know I will not survive in this world. And so you need to do the same. So what does it mean? What does it mean to repent and believe? Repenting and believing in Christ is about finding so much indescribable and indestructible joy in the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for you that it ruins you for anything else. My, uh, one of my favorite verses is Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's really my life verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all, notice that, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. So what is that telling us? Well, it's telling us this. We have in Christ, what we have in Christ is so valuable that if we were to lose everything in order to have him, it would be a joyful exchange. There's nothing like having Christ at the center of your life. So the spirit of the Antichrist is anything that confuses you about Christ, distracts you from Christ, leads you to deny Christ with your words, your deeds, or in your heart. It is anything that keeps the Son of God from being at the center of your life. Just as the sun is at the center of the solar system, otherwise it would be quite catastrophic. The Son of God must be at the center of our lives or we will face catastrophe in our own lives. And so that's the first test, the Jesus test. The second one is the Holy Spirit test. What do they say about the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 4. Maybe you've memorized this, maybe the, the back end of this verse. Uh, it says, little children, once again, terms of endearment, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. How many are familiar with that verse? You guys have heard that, you've heard it quoted, some of you have used it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now it's talking about false prophets, but it's also talking about the lies that we are combating, that we're coming up against in our world. Not only in our world, but also that, that are in our head. Greater is he that is in me, meaning the Holy Spirit came to indwell me when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. He's talking about regeneration here, really, what happens at regeneration or being born again. I think 2 Peter really helps us to understand. What does that mean, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and goodness. His divine power is in us. That is amazing. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. What are you facing? It doesn't compare to what you have in Christ Jesus. If we have God in us, then we can no more be conquered 
than God himself. Now, let me talk a little bit about this, this current crisis that we're in, corona crisis. Or let me just talk about crisis in, in general because you need to have a good theology for crisis. And, uh, and I, I believe that Christians should be, if they have a good theology, they should be responding differently than everybody else. There's mass panic out there, just a lot of craziness. And I, I can't help but believe that it's because they don't have the hope that we have. And, uh, and so you don't want to panic. You don't want to be passive, but you want to be prayerfully prepared, as, as has been said. And, and always keep in mind, regardless of how dark it might become, how difficult, how devastating as you face crisis, God is still loving, wise, and in control. He always has your best interest at heart, regardless of the way it looks around you and your circumstances. He loves you. No one loves you like he loves you. And he has your best interest at heart. He's not holding out on you. He's working through these circumstances for your good and his glory. And God controls evil. Otherwise, evil would be out of control. It's his sovereignty. And God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He wants to draw our hearts closer to him. Crisis should drive your heart deeper into his love. And crisis should make you deeper and stronger and wiser. That's what he's wanting to do in your life. So let me ask you this question. Is God more concerned about relieving our suffering or revealing our sin? Revealing our sin, and he will use suffering to do that. And it's out of our Father's heart for us that he allows suffering into our life to shape us and make us more like, like his son. I believe that all crisis is a warning and a wake-up call by God's grace to repent before the final judgment. So this is what I want you to think. Every time there's a crisis that hits, that's a wake-up call. That's a wake-up call to repent before the final judgment. It's a dim glimpse of the final judgment. Just it, and so God's, God's firing warning shots in the sky. Hey, turn to me. Repent and believe in me. And um, suffering for believers is not punitive but purifying. Oftentimes when people go through uh, suffering, Christians, they say, is God punishing me? No. All that punishment was placed on Christ, on the cross. No, he's purifying you. He's purifying. He's working in your life. Just as iron ore in fire produces gold and coal under pressure produces diamonds, God is using the people, things, and circumstances of your life to make you like gold and diamonds. Here's what you need to always keep in mind also. God never promised us a painless or problem-free life. Nowhere in the Bible. But he did promise us this. He promised us his presence, his power, and peace to face anything, to face absolutely anything. John 16, 33, this is what he told his disciples, and they were were quite freaked out over what was about to happen. This is just before he's going to be hanging on the cross, and he says, I tell you these things so that uh, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have difficulties, you will have trouble, you will have trials, you will have tribulation, but I'm glad he didn't stop there. He says, but take heart, take heart. I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. 
And so 1 John 4, 4, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Here's our statement of faith with the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and the Son to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to regenerate, sanctify, and empower for ministry all who believe in Christ. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Jesus Christ and that he is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. We believe in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit and in the exercise of the biblical gifts of the Spirit. There's a number of verses attached to all of that. It's on your notes. So the Holy Spirit's job is ultimately to glorify Jesus. Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He draws attention to Jesus. He points to Jesus, John 16, 44. And you know that the Holy Spirit is working when the, when the person and work of Jesus becomes more real, more desirable, more satisfying than anything in this world. Now, Though the Holy Spirit is invisible, his manifestations are visible. Jesus talked about this in John chapter 3. Remember, he talked about the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. So what are the effects of the Holy Spirit? How do you know that you have had and experienced regeneration or you're born again? Well, it's not your perfection, but it's your direction. It's what you love and hate and long for. In fact, I've got a list here that I'll, I'll read. Just This is what you can, you can count on it, that this is the Spirit of God working in your life. What is the Holy Spirit doing in us? He produces in us a desire for repentance, a hatred towards sin. He produces in us a desire to seek salvation and forgiveness. He produces in us a belief in the gospel, a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, a desire to give our life fully to serving Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. He produces in us a delight in the Holy Scripture, a longing for obedience, he produces in us joy and trials and tribulations, love of other believers, desire for fellowship, illumination of his word, inclination to prayer, and a desire for praise, a heart of thanksgiving. Worship is a way of life and increasing Christ-likeness. He's very busy. He's working in our lives. And so you've got the Jesus test, the Holy Spirit test, and now we've got the Bible test. What do they say about the Bible? Look at verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. So he says we, he's talking about we, and then he says whoever knows God listens to us. Who's the we and the us? It's the apostles who taught the Old Testament and wrote New Testament. They were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. And so he's basically saying, hey, what we're saying is truth, and if they listen to us, then this is from the Spirit of God. But if they don't listen to us, it's because they're of the world. And, uh, and so he says, whoever, he goes on, he says, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. So here's our statement of faith as it relates to God's word. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments are the word of God fully inspired, the infallible rule of faith and practice, and that they are to be interpreted in, according to their context and purpose in reverent obedience to the Lord who speaks through them in living power. So let me uh, just very quickly explain to you what a false prophet is not. A false prophet is not someone who said something in error. We can all do that. 
A false prophet is not someone you disagree with on open-handed issues. You guys know what open-handed issues are? It's, it's non-essential Christian doctrine. So you need to know the difference between essential and non-essential Christian doctrine. So non-essential, we can debate it, we shouldn't divide over it. But essential Christian doctrine, that's what we divide over. We want unity there. So you need to know the difference between the two. A false prophet is not someone who is in the process of learning and changing. See, a false prophet is intentional about what they're saying. And um, it is not a mistake. And they know what they are saying and doing. It is on close-handed issues, essential Christian doctrine. They are devoted to compelling others to embrace their aberrant and false theology. Any person or group of people that doubts, denies, demeans, and distorts God's word is not from God. By the way, most false teaching has a Bible verse attached to it. Just because they have a Bible verse attached to it. There's a lot of, a lot of pastors that do a ton of proof texting. They make their big idea and then they attach a verse to it to make everybody feel comfortable. And so that's no guarantee. You've got to understand what is that text actually saying and study it. You need to be like the Bereans who were more noble than the Thessalonians because they studied the scripture daily to see whether or not what Paul was teaching was truly the word of God. This is the apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and they're challenging him. That's 1711 of Acts. We need to do the same. We need to say, is that really biblical? We need to take everything back to the Bible. Is that what the Bible actually says? Let me study this. Let me look at this. We must not be caught off guard when error is popular. Did you see what he said in verse five? False prophets are from the world. They speak from the world and the world listens to them. Now listen to me. Just because a church attracts a lot of people, it doesn't mean they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. All cults begin with some kind of private revelation that is in addition to or even supersedes the scripture. And in those groups, dreams, visions, revelations are sought and valued greater than God's word. And you, you see this in cults and on the extreme edges of the charismatic movement. God certainly speaks to us through thoughts, ideas, impressions, dreams, and visions, but they should never take precedence over God's word. Everything should be filtered through God's word. In fact, we need to constantly go back to God's word to validate whatever, whatever we're experiencing, whatever we're hearing. That's really, really important. The objective truth of God's word. So much of false teaching boils down to the same thing. Your ultimate authority becomes something other than the objective standard of God's word. My wife Nancy worked um, at a bank a number of years ago just off of Central and Camelback, and, and she was held up by gunpoint, and she was quite frightened. I, I went down to the bank on that day, and she, she told me that, I, I began to ask her questions about that, and she told me that she, in her discernment, felt that were something a little off. He wasn't their usual customers coming in there. So she was very familiar with the layout. She'd been there for quite a while, knew the customers that come in and out of that, and she was able to kind of spot that when he came up. And, and, and she also said this to me, that because she had handled the real money so often, she could identify it almost instantaneously, counterfeit bills, just by how they felt. And then she'd glance down and go, sure enough, yeah, that's a counterfeit bill. So, so what am I saying? Is that we need to be so familiar with the truth. 
so familiar with the truth that we can spot error looming on the horizon. Otherwise, you will be victimized. Let's pray and prepare hearts for communion here this morning. So, Father God, in the name of your Son, through the work of the Holy Spirit, based on the authority and the infallibility of your word, may we be better at testing the spirits and not be gullible, but be more discerning. Help us to see that the best defense against the lies in this world and in our head is the rehearsal of your word in our heart and to be connected to a local church family that teaches the full counsel of your word. And God, we also pray that you would protect us against this coronavirus and give wisdom to our city, state, national health experts and leaders to fight this virus. Use this crisis to bring people throughout this world to repentance and faith in you. And may we be people abounding in hope regardless of what happens for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said... Amen. You can see there's three stations here. They'll be handing you uh, those elements. Take those elements back to your seat, and I will walk us through the process. So the women's ministry here at Desert Breeze for this whole year are memorizing verses every month. I love it. And so I decided to, to go along with them and memorize the, the verse for this month, and it's absolutely a wonderful verse. It's 1513 of Romans. It basically says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And as I've been meditating on that verse, I was very convicted because I don't have the hope that it's describing there. See, hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It's confident, joyful expectation. I just thought, man, sometimes I get too down about my circumstances and the people around me and, and all that's going on. And so the Lord began to use that to convict me. I should be abounding in hope if my eyes are on Christ Jesus. And so it's helped me to repent and believe in him. It's helped me to, to say, wait a minute, I want that confident, joyful expectation that regardless of what's going on in my life, he's for me, he's not against me, he loves me, he's gonna take care of me, he always has my best interest at heart, nothing can separate me from his love. That's what we want more than anything. And uh, these communion elements represent that guarantee. It tells us in, in Romans 8, 31 and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? So as you face crisis, you always go back to that. Wait a minute, God, if you didn't spare your own son to take care of my worst problem, which, which would be to be alienated from you for all eternity, you brought me in, you brought me up close and personal to you. If you didn't spare your own son to take care of that, you're not gonna spare anything else in taking care of me. So God, I put my trust in you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together.
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. So water baptisms on Easter weekend, if you want to be baptized, you need to meet with Darren right over here at the end of the service, over to my left, right in this corner, and to your right. Next weekend, we're going to talk about love as Christ loved, First John chapter 4, verse 7, all the way to chapter 5, verse 3. So let me give you this blessing. So my blessing for you, of course, is Romans 15, 13. So may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope regardless of what you may face. You will abound in a confident, joyful expectation in Christ Jesus. In his beautiful name we pray and everyone said amen. Love you guys. God bless you.